Well, good morning. So glad everybody's here. Uh, you guys glad to be in church this morning? I am so fired up. Yes, and thank you for joining us online, everybody. We're starting a brand new series today. Um, this is going to be a tough series. Um, it is not nice sounding. It, it is not, uh, it's, just, it's just very real. It's where the rubber meets the road, you guys. And, um, and I, I'm, I, could, I couldn't be more fired up about it. Uh, this series is going to exhaust me. So if, I, if you need me on Sunday afternoon, I'm probably going to be crashed out asleep. Because um, what we're talking about here is just so close to the heart, so real, so um, uh, not hurtful, but it may open your eyes to a lot of things. And I can't be more fired up about it. Um, the series is called Keeping God First When You Don't Feel Like It. And today is part one, When It Happens. Okay, um, so how many of you all, if, if you all grew up in church, uh, or, or even if you didn't, you probably heard a lot of these nice sounding platitudes and cliches. See if any of these sound familiar. God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of you all heard that one? Yeah, okay. Uh, the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. Have you heard that one? Okay, <laughs> ask the guys in the Bible if that's true. Uh-uh. Uh, when God closes a door, he opens a window. You heard that one? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, everything happens for a reason. Heard that one? Yeah. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. You heard that one? Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that none of those statements is in the Bible. None of them. As a matter of fact, what I found in my walk with Christ since I became a Christian in January of 1992 is that God is not into nice sounding phrases and emotion. What he's into is faith. And uh, I, I wanna talk about when those cliches come crashing down, when it happens. Now it, the definition of it is a devastating event in life that causes immense stress, pain, and grief after which you are changed forever. Once it happens, you are never the same. You cannot go back to the way you were before. It is a life-changing event. Now, uh, um, not one person will escape this life without it happening. Not one. Okay? There are three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and it. Okay? All I know is that if it hasn't happened, it will. Now, it could be anything. It could be the death of a child. It could be a divorce. It could be the loss of a job, a career. It could be betrayal of a, of a, of a family member. It could, it, it could be anything. Whatever it is, you know what it is, okay? You know. It's personal to every person. Now, possibly it is a result of your own actions. Surely, those of us who know ourselves well know that we are our own worst enemy. The we are the cause of our problems, true? How many of you all are self-aware enough to know that? That the biggest enemy you face is facing you in the mirror. Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes, uh, many of us, sometimes it is a result of our own actions. We've, we've disobeyed God, we've sinned, and we've done things we don't know, we know we're not supposed to do. We've done things in rebellion to God's word, and we're experiencing the full consequences of that. That is very true, that possibly that happens. And when that happens, we need to repent, and we need to uh, uh, continue on. But it could be that it 
is the result of another's actions. You had nothing to do with it. You are bearing the consequence of someone else's sin. Someone else shoots a family member of yours. You deal with the murder. Uh, someone else commits adultery on you. Uh, someone steals something from you. Someone uh, uh, makes up lies and destroys your reputation. You had nothing to do with it. It's a result of someone else's sin, maybe. Or possibly, there's no reason for it at all. I sat in the, in the uh, FEMA trailers of people who had lost their homes on, on the Gulf Coast in 2007, 2008 after Hurricane Katrina um, and, and listened to uh, the people that had lost everything. If you drive two hours east of here, you could see, see the same thing. These floods were Kentucky's Katrina and, they, and no one caused it. There's no sin involved. It just happened. But whatever the cause, the effect on you is the same. Whether it's your sin whether someone else's sin, whether it just happens, the effect on you is the same. Now, the Bible devotes one of its longest books to the subject of it. And I, I really want to say something. This is one of the places where contemporary American Christianity has really let us down, you all. We do not talk about grief. We do not talk about loss. We do not talk about it in the church very much. We don't tell Christians that it is an essential part of your faith, that it is a part of the deal and how we have to deal with it. We think for somehow that if it happens, we don't have enough faith or something. That's wrong. It happens to everyone and the church needs to talk about it, okay? The Bible, like I said, devotes one of the longest books, the book of Job, to the subject of it. This event in your life, just like in Job's, a tremendous, tremendous spiritual significance. And we're going to talk about it. All right, so Job 1, 1 through, uh, 1 through 5 says this, In the land of Uz, Uz, the people were real creative back then, wasn't it? Uz, okay? Uh, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. How many kids? Ten, very good, okay, remember that. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. In other words, this was a very godly, devout man. God had blessed him. Things were going great. Not only was he concerned for himself, he was concerned for the, 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 his children, and he did not want his children to walk away from God, so he would make sacrifices for them. This was a man who loved his family, loved, loved the Lord, loved everything. was going great. Everything was perfect in his life. Job is prospering. Then the Bible tells us that Satan goes in front of God and says, listen, this guy that says that he loves you, says that he loves you, listen, you've put a hedge of protection around him, you've, you've blessed him and everything, of course he loves you. Now I'll tell you this, God, if you, if you take away his possessions and you destroy it, he will run away from you like a lazy cousin who owes you money. Okay, he will run from you, he will curse you, if, you know, if you just take it all away. And God says, okay, you can do that, but you can't lay a finger on him. Okay, so pick up in verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. 
So boom, Job gets hit with this one thing. And then the scripture says this, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire from God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. So there's another punch, boom. Then the next one, while he was still speaking, Another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. That's the third one. I mean, and then this, and then the gut punch. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, they are dead, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. In one instant, Job lost everything. Not just his possessions, not just his wealth, but his family. He lost 10 children in one instant. It happened. I want to ask you, church, what would you do? You lose your job, you lose your home, your entire legacy is wiped out, your children all die at once, what would you do? This is it. Well, I don't know what I would do. That's never happened to me. I've had less, I've had other things happen, but look what happens here. This is what I wanna tell you. This is how God uses it. Now, whether or not God causes this or he allows it to happen, I don't know, you all. That, that, I, that's something I need to study, and I, and I, I confess, I, I, I'm, I'm not prepared to say that today. I need to study it more. Maybe more brilliant people than me have figured that out, whether God causes it or allows it, but whatever, the, whatever it is, God uses it. The first thing God uses it is this, is that it reveals the level of our faith, okay? In one instant, when it happens, your faith, the level of your faith is revealed. Look at what happens here in verse 20. When Job gets, when, this is what Job did. Verse 20, 21. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. I want you to clue in on the word worship, you all, in your Bibles or whatever, um, underline that. He fell to the ground in worship. What was Job's reflex action? Someone once told me that surely what, what we do when we're taken by surprise is the true person. <laughs> his first re his reflex action was to worship. Someone said hard times build character? No, hard times don't build character. Hard times reveal character. We saw that. We've seen that in our, in our lives. God uses it to show us our true nature, our true character, our true faith. You wanna know what your faith is? You wanna know how devoted you are to God? What do you do when it happens? That is the true level of your faith. Now there's another guy in the Bible named King David who uh, had another it happen, okay? He committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had, had her husband murdered to cover it up, okay? <clears throat> So his it was his fault completely. He was experiencing the consequences of his own actions, his own sin. And the child conceived by adultery died, okay? The, the child died. In 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 12, 19 through 20, David noticed that the attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then, get this, David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. 
Then he went to his own house. At his request, they served him food and he ate. There it is again, worship. Worship. These giants of the faith, when they experience terrible hardship, the reflex actions to worship. Notice that King David didn't stay away from God. He wasn't afraid of God's judgment. He didn't think shame or God doesn't want to hear from me. He went straight to the temple because he knew he needed to reconnect with God. And that should be ours as well. This is reflex action. See, guys, what I found, I'm going to illustrate this right here. Make sure you guys can all see this. See, what I found is this. Is that this is our joy, and this is time. When we become Christians, when we, when we accept Christ, when we first experience the great joy of the faith, our joy is very, very high. It's way up here. The problem is, is that our faith is immature. It's in our immature stages. It's down here, okay? That, that's, that's where our faith is. Our joy is here, but our faith is here. And so what ha- as our faith grows and everything like this, what happens is that... It happens. And when it happens, what, what, what I've experienced is that your joy comes crashing down to the level of your faith. Okay? See, this is nothing but air. It's not real. This is emotion right here. It's not built on anything else. It's, it's emotion. And so God loves you too much to allow your joy to be based on air. And sooner or later, this is going to happen, and when it does, you will come crashing down to the level of your faith. I've seen that. There'll be more on that in just a second. The second way that God uses it is that God uses it. It teaches us to, that God is our comforter and our sustainer. Psalm 34, 18, if you all have lost a loved one or you're going through tough times, you know that I have sent this scripture to you. I've texted it to you or I've, I've said it, Psalm 34, 18. It says God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. You see, here's the truth, guys. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. In 2004, when it happened to me and my family, most of you have heard that story. If, you, if you're visiting here, what happened in 2004 is my third child died right in my arms. Um, holding your son in your arms and watching him die will give you crushing grief and loss. I also know, even though I, I experienced that, I'd also never known such close fellowship and comfort from God. I'd never known the closeness, closeness and the strength that God gives during that time. I also learned the preciousness of the church. There's no organization of people who support and sustain and love like God's church does. There's no group of people who grieves with you and allows you to grieve like his precious church. The prayers of God's people literally keep you from going under. I also learned the power in worship. I saw what Job and King David did and that when they lost children. And even though it felt unnatural, like the least, least natural thing to do, 
And not, not wrong or bad, just different. I never would have thought that worship was the weapon against grief. But I learned that. And worship is your greatest weapon against grief. I found the truth of Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have, people. When you're going through it, God is really all you have. Those of you who have been through it know that to be true. Uh, nothing else matters. The size of your house doesn't matter. The kind of car you drive, the number of dollars in the bank do not matter when it happens. I've never heard anyone who's going through it say, well, at least I've got nice furniture. I've never heard one person who's experiencing it say, well, I sure am glad I got nice clothes in my closet. Those things are meaningless. God allows it to show us the meaninglessness of those things and that the, the things that this culture screams at us are so important that you need to invest your life in. The house, the car, the money, the clothes, the everything. All of a sudden, God just obliterates all of that in one instant. Believe me, I've been there. The only thing that mattered to me when I was going through it was the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only comfort I had that, de that his, my son's death was not final, that death was not gonna have the final say, that there was a reason for my son's short 10-day life and that there was meaning and there's an answer to all this pain and suffering. And in that drive home from the hospital after we had watched him die, I, I vowed to myself, I, the, 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 all of this stuff was meaningless and I just vowed to myself and to God that I would spend the rest of my life proclaiming to as many people as I possibly could that, the, that Jesus is resurrected and the truth of the re resurrection and that's it, all that matters. And that vows to, uh, led me to plant this church. That vows taking me to India, to Nepal, to the Dominican Republic to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that matters. See, guys, when all, God was all I had, I found out that God is all I need. And that's what it does for you. We don't know God is all we need until all we, he's all we have. Charles Spurgeon said this, God never uses you powerfully until he hurts you deeply. And that is true. After 2004, I had a new respect for people who loved Jesus deeply and passionately because I knew that their faith had been forged in the worst times possible. If you see anyone in what seems to be an unshakable faith, believe you me, that person has been through hell on earth. And they found that God is all they need. The third thing I found is that it teaches us that God restores our joy. After all of this happened to Job, the end of the book of Job, in Job 42, 10 through 17, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. How many children? Ten. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapak. 
Uh, nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So Job died an old man full of years. See, what happens, guys, is after God allows after God allows this to happen, then he continues to build up your faith. He builds up your faith and he builds up your faith and he builds up your faith because you've learned that he's all you need and he builds this up and your joy level returns to here. Only this time it's based on something real. It's based on something called faith. It's not based on air. It is built on something rock solid. God always restores your joy. Always. If you stay in the game. That is what it teaches us. And now that now when it happens, we crash here. Not here. That's what happens when it happens. God always restores our joy. You may be going through it right now. I know some of you are. You may have already gone through it. I know some of you have. You may not have gone through it yet. For those of you who have not gone through it yet, I want you to write everything I'm about to say down. You're going to need it. For those of you going through it, I want you to write everything I'm about to say down. You need it now. And if you have been through it, I want you to write these down, and I want you to share them with other people who need you. When you're going through it. Number one, realize it's okay to experience human emotion. It's okay, God created emotions. You're not supposed to deny them. Look what God, remember, remember Job was the most godly man in the, in, the, in the land, okay? He's the most devout man in the land. Look at what he says here about his situation. Job 3, 11 through 15, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came out of the womb? Why were there needs to receive me and breasts that I may be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with, no, with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves palaces, places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold and filled with silver. He's like, why didn't I just die before all this happened to me? I wish I was dead. That is exactly what Job said. Was he sinning? No, he was not. He was being human. And when you are going through it, you have to allow yourself to be human. Okay? It's okay to be human. He didn't spout flowery language and spout cliches. He was experiencing the death of grief. And he expressed it. It was not a lack of faith. It is not a lack of faith to grieve. It's not a lack of faith to be depressed to experience the emotion that God gave us. It's okay, you have to allow yourself to grieve. You don't have to hide behind trite cliches. Grief is temporary. It doesn't last. It's okay to grieve. Second thing is this, and I really need you guys to hear this. Nighttime will be the worst time. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Be ready for nighttime. I found this. Your enemy hunts at night. He hunts at night. When you have work during the day and distractions and all that, people, we can manage. However, when it's bedtime, that's when the grief hits. Be ready for it. Have your heart prepared for it. Because your enemy hunts at night.
Also, when you're most tempted to take it out on the people closest to you, your spouse in particular, Rachel and I were both grieving and neither of us had anything left for the other. She needed me to be strong and I had nothing. Many times at nighttime, around bedtime, we were extremely ugly to each other, like a husband and wife shouldn't be. Don't do that. I can, uh, a friend of mine, right about that time, probably prompted by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knew we were going under, sent me an article that he had read that around 80% of couples that lose children divorce. And he sent me, a, he sent me the article with a one-line message don't let this happen. And I could see how all of that could be true. I, I, I wish that I would have guarded my heart better during those times. Satan was having a field day in the Kibler household at nighttime. I wasn't prepared for that. Satan didn't win, but he sure did a lot of damage. Guard your heart at nighttime. When you're going through it, make sure that you approach your nighttime hours, that you're guarding your heart. Put on worship music. Pray. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Do not give Satan an open door because he hunts at nighttime. And he will destroy you at nighttime if you don't guard your heart. Take it from someone who bears the scars of that. The third thing I want you to know is give grace to those who are trying to help Suffering does not give you the right to treat people badly, okay? Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. When you're going through it, people will try to help because they love you and they care about you, but people don't know what to say. They don't know your situation. They don't know what you're going through. They don't know your mental state. They don't know your emotional state, and they'll say the wrong thing, okay? Don't go off on them. Understand the heart behind it, Okay, understand that. Give grace to them. I've seen people going through it just lash out at people and be incredibly ugly to the people that are just there trying to help. Yeah, they said the wrong thing. Yeah, they, they shouldn't have said anything, but at least they're there. Give them some grace. Just because you're going through something doesn't give you the right to be a jerk. Don't rationalize sinning against someone because you're hurting. I've seen that done so many times. A very lovely person in our church in Tennessee, when we were going through, when Rachel was pregnant with Jacob and, and we'd gotten the bad ultrasound result and we were stressed and everything, she came up and she said this. She said, well, all we need to, all we need to do is pray and that child will be just fine. She meant well. And, what, and she said it to be encouraging. She didn't know what to say. And so she said that. Was it the wrong thing? Yeah, that's not something we needed to hear at that time. But at least she was there. Her presence meant more to me than any words she said. I would have just preferred a hug with no words. Remember that when you're comforting someone who's hurting. A hug and just sitting there is more than any words you could say. Okay. But give grace to people that are just trying to help. Okay. Don't go off on them. Going through tough times does not give you the right to be a jerk. The fourth thing I want you to know is this. Make no major decisions. 
When you're going through it, make no major decisions. Psalm 73, 21 through 23 describes a man who is going through it. And he said, when I became embittered in my innermost being and was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. In other words, when, when, when we're grieving, that is not the time to make big, life-changing decisions. They'll always be wrong. It is not the time to make decisions about marriage. It's not the time to make major financial decisions like buying a car or going on vacation that will wreck your finances or or going on a spending spree. It's not the time to decide to change careers. Understand that this season of your life, church, isn't the time to make decisions. It's a season to grieve and to heal. That is your one job, okay? You'll be tempted with all kinds of things, and you'll be tempted to wreck your life to do something stupid. You'll be tempted to date the wrong person that'll just make you feel good. Who has nothing, who has not, and has no Christian character, who has nothing, no concern for you whatsoever. You'll be tempted to date that person. You'll be tempted to maybe run to an alcohol bottle or something just to make you feel good. That's how addicts are made, you all. Don't make major life decisions. I've seen people who've made decisions while grieving live to regret it. Don't do that. The fifth thing I'll tell you is this remember to care for yourself. When you're going through it, Job 2, 11 through 12, when he had been, all this had happened, and Job's three friends, Elipaz and Bildad and Zophar, heard about all this adversity that happened to him. Each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. They wept aloud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air onto his head. Guys, I'm telling you that when you are grieving and going through it, you will let yourself go. You'll stop eating healthy, stop getting enough sleep. You'll stop exercise. You'll stop Stop caring for yourself, and that has major consequences to your health. Make sure you care for yourself during this time, okay? Make sure that you do that. I've seen people that are, that are grieving. It, it, it's so sad. It's, it's like we're looking at Job, who was this great, and, and they didn't even recognize him because he was in such a terrible state. Make sure that you care for yourself. Take time for yourself. Make sure that you, you uh, continue to do things that you enjoy. Make sure that you, you engage in self-care. Please do not let yourself and your health suffer when you're going through this. Remember that if you go down, everybody goes down. So care for yourself. Take care of yourself. Okay? And the last thing is this. Look for God's restoration like the prodigal son's father looked for his son to return. Listen to what Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, one of the most famous passages in Scripture. Look what is waiting for you if you don't quit. Look at this. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youths may grow faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's sit on the hill like the prodigal son's father, wait, watching for his son to return. Let's sit there on the hill and wait for the God to restore our joy. Let's, let's sit there and know that our suffering is temporary and our joy is forever. That we, let's, let's, let, let's sit there in faith and trust and watch God restore us to greater than we were before it 
happens. Let's be patient, church. Let's stay faithful, church, because it is an essential part of our story with God. It's not something to be run from. It's not something to question God on. It is something to go through and learn the lessons. And when we are through it, we are still joyful, but our joy is based on something real, not air. If you're going through it right now, I'm praying for you. And if you've been through it, please, the lessons you've learned, be there for someone that is going through it. As a church, let's lift up our people that are going through it. Young people that have not been through it yet understand that this is coming and it's okay. It's okay. It's part of it. When it happens, don't let it shake you. It's part of it and God will restore your joy so watch for it and wait for it and stay faithful stay faithful church God bless you we'll see you next Sunday adios bye bye